Drama on One. Sundays at 8pm. rta.ie forward slash drama on one. Drama on one. Tonight on Drama on One, we present the winning play in the PJ O'Connor Radio Drama Awards 2020. Nothing ever happens round here. Written by Robert Barrett. Reflecting on village life, mortality, poverty, opportunity, futility and ultimately hope, this comedy for radio focuses on a day in the life of Cortland Alexander, a third generation craft butcher in a small town in rural Ireland. Discombobulated by the thoughts of growing older and the death of a school friend, he suffers an existential crisis. This is Nothing Ever Happens Around Here by Robert Barrett. Turquoise alarm clock goes off, as it does every morning of his get-out-of-bed, good, better, best, never-let-it-rest life. A large, liver-spotted hand swats the alarm clock to the floor. He groans, moans, grummocks his legs out from beneath the covers and plants his feet on the floor. His torso follows some time after. He yawns. A jaw-breaking, acrobatic yawn in three parts. The first part, the opening. The second part, the quivering. The third... He draws his hand through what remains of his hair. A few gingery grey tufts each side of a smooth, eggish head. His wife lies in the bed they have shared for 37 journeys around the sun. Her family reared, her nest empty. This morning, she curls beneath the sheets with the iPad, pretending to sleep. Cortland stands up and takes a few stiff, barefoot steps towards the ensuite. He has the look of a man walking on hot coals. Once inside, he relieves himself of his burdens. A spluttery, ineffectual affair some of which even makes it into the toilet. He flushes, washes his hands. Cortland regards himself in the mirror, feeling that somewhere between the previous night and this morning, and with no input from himself, he has become possessed of a malaise. It feels like a day when he could have one of his turns and the thought concerns him. It appears he has aged overnight. His eyes, roomy. His crow's feet like the top of a well-opened bag of sweets. His neck, jowly. He narrows in on his eyebrows. Long, spiky hair grows from every direction, as if trying to escape. It's always the eyebrows, he thinks. He decides there and then to cut them, and his thick fingers fumble in the toothbrush cup for the little nail scissors he hides in there. Courtland! His wife, Phyllis, speaks. What? He snaps. Ah, forget it, it's nothing. The morning has begun in anger. Outside, a dog is barking. 
I'm trying to get that stupid Mickey Mouse scissors out of the bottom of the toothbrush cup. That stray dog is barking again. I know the bloody dog is barking. No, I can't do this. It's not fair. Courtland, that stray dog is barking again. Yes, my love. No, too much. Courtland. Yeah? That Kelly woman is dead. You know the one with the lazy eye. From out the road? Yeah, she's married to that English fella that came into the shop looking for Wagyu beef. What did she die of? According to this, she died of a Tuesday. Phyllis laughs. <laughs> this is her favourite joke. Cortland rolls his eyes in the mirror. He gives up on the cutting of the eyebrow hair and switches to the easier job of shaving himself with his electric razor. Ah, Cortland! Cortland! You'll never guess who's dead. Who? Guess. You won't believe it. How would I know who's dead? Guess. Cortland. Tag Mackey. No. The Brennan one below. No. Sure, how could I guess who's dead? It's an impossible question. I could be guessing for a month. Is it your man with the angina? Fancy, fancy, what you call him? Uh, no. I give up. Suddenly at home, dearly beloved by his wife Mary, Nikhil Coyne, daughters Carmel, Mary Anne, Josephine and... I don't know who it is, Phyllis. This could go on all day. Just tell him, Phyllis. Johnny Kenny of the 30 Acres. Cortland comes out of the ensuite, razor in hand. Slipper Kenny. Suddenly at home. Suddenly? That's what it says here. But sure, I suppose it's sudden enough for everyone in the end. Johnny Kenny was in my class in school. I used to sit beside him every day. I feel a pencil story coming on. One day I stuck a pencil in his eye. By mistake, of course. And the teacher said it was only an accident and accidents happened. But his mother, the old battle axe, beat me up and down the street with an extendable ruler. She only hit him once. She skint me. I never forgot it. Toilet roll, Cortland. What? Bring home toilet roll. A 16-pack, not too soft and not too rough. And in between one. God in heaven, dog, give me a break. She only hit him once with the back of her hand on the shoulder. I was there. I saw everything. Cortland washes his pink, pudgy face in the washhand basin and applies two stinging, refreshing, zinging splashes of a cheap cedarwood cologne. He gets dressed. Shirt, trousers, plain brown, comfortable shoes. He goes downstairs and feeds the dog. The dog is happy to see him, as he is every day of the up early, never take a day off day of the every bloody day working week. Breakfasted, he leaves the house. Toilet roll! Don't load, load, load that don't. Don't load, load, load that don't. People are waking. Going to work in the sleepy-head, drizzly-faced little town of a small village of a hamlet of a crossroads with two churches, one irreputable pub, two shops, a hairdresser's called Supercuts with a K and a Z, one small green grocer who only opens when he is sober and one 
proper, up early, spick and span, lick and spittle, see yourself in the window glass, butcher's shop, called Cortland Alexander and Sons Victualler. Cortland Alexander closes the too squeaky, never gets a squirt of oil, shoemaker's child of a front gate, and adjusts his cap. He has already forgotten the toilet roll. He looks both ways on the footpath, draws in a deep breath and begins the walk towards his butcher's shop. On the way, he will pass the small, grass-cut and weed-plucked headstone emporium outside the Church of Ireland Church, where ancestor Cortland Alexander I lies, straight as a ramrod, serious and solemn, the bone of his right finger still twitching as he celestially calculates guineas, pounds, shillings and pence and writes ghostily on paper-wrapped and string-tied packages of meat, the reckoning. Cortland walks quickly down the street. He is not in the mood for talking to ghosts today. Here you, Cortland. Not too bad, Fancy, and yourself? Fancy smelling lies, good-humouredly, in the gutter, outside the crossbar inn. He has been there since closing time the previous evening, when his legs declined to make the journey home. His legs are now waiting for the pub to open again, and there is nothing Fancy can do about it. A fag-butt burns between his yellowing fingers and, wincing up against the morning sun, he smiles. Sure could always be worse, Cartland, Fancy says, unconvincingly. I suppose it could, Fancy, Cortland says, wondering how much worse it could get. He notices the half-empty glasses of lager left wasp-collecting on the windowsill, and the residue of chips bags and grease walked into the footpath around Fonsi's head. He glances up at the two neglected rusty footballs that pass for hanging baskets over the front door of the pub. The shutters go up on Centra. Cortland waves over. A young Stokes boy goes breaknecking by in his small, bejeweled, wheel-spinning boy racer mobile. N-plate. N for no clue, no breaks, no girlfriend, no leaving cert, no job, no sense, no insurance, no taste. Fonsi raises a fist salute from the gutter. No surrender, no regrets. Cortland shakes his head slowly. I'll be off, Fonsi. Take it easy. I'll take it any way I can get it. Approaching on the footpath, two abreast, the sisters McGinnity, retired, pink-cheeked and weight-losing with fast-walking, arm-pumping and high-visibility vests. Morning, Cortland! Morning, Cortland! They say together. Good morning, ladies. They whiz past, no time to talk. Swip-swiping in their windbreakers, they set off on their first loop of the universe of the day leaving only in their cool afterdraft a hint of rose water. Cortland picks it up, and it brings to his mind suddenly, sharply in those final few steps to the shop, his mother. And through his mother, Lord rest her soul, his father, very much alive, Cortland Alexander II, who at that very moment, and not ten miles away, 
is being fed a warmish, palish mix of porridge made on milk, the runny residue of which is being scraped from the runnels of his chin by Yorg, a Brazilian nurse of infinite, selfless, beatific patience. Don't have enough of it. No to worry, Mr. Alexander. Nearly finished now. Oh, it's like eating wallpaper paste. <laughs> but it's good for you. And Cortland should think... I must go and visit him. Instead, he thinks... Is that all there is to it? Slaving your whole life so somebody else can scrape porridge off your chin with a plastic spoon. So somebody can button your pants for you. What's the point? The three-legged stray dog whom nobody owns is at the shop door. He hobbles towards Cortland and lifts his sad-eyed, down-on-his-luck, war veteran of a dog face. His tongue hangs out as if it is broken. He is salivating. You're some old cod you are, eh? Cortland opens the door of the shop. Are you there, Willie? I am, Shirley. Ever reliable, ever willing, wee Willie Wagtail Willie. Pass me out a nice big T-bone if you have one handy. Willie appears, T-bone in hand. You're getting soft in your old age. I think I am, you know. Cortland puts the bone within three-legged dog's reach. The dog lies down to see it better, regards the bone, then lifts his head and winks at Cortland. <laughs> Mr. Alexander. <laughs> The dog would have said. Willie, the ever willing, wee Willie Winky of a butcher, having completed 32 years of a 55 year apprenticeship, has the display perfectly set out in his own ordered sausages, rashers, white and black pudding way. Curly lamb cutlets to the front, steak burgers, mince, sirloins. Rib loins, eye of rounds, and all the pork ribs, shanks, skirts, briskets, and rounds of the whole string-tied housewife's choice of the whole butchered world. I suppose you heard Slipper Kenny is dead. I did. That's the only certainty we have left now. Willie says, chopping a lamb cutlet. Cortland shudders then puts on his long plastic apron and his white 1917 scuttling of the battleship Potemkin butcher's hat. The first customer of the day, first customers in and first customers straight up to the counter. Good morning, Father. The right reverend Father Circumspect S.J. of the parochial hall. Father never take a bite out of a stone wall, buying meat off a Protestant because he has to. Late of the missions, now home to care for his greatly diminishing flock with his greatly diminishing interest. Good morning, Mr. Alexander. Uh, how are you, Willie? Not a bother, Father. What can I get you today, Father? Father circumspect eyes the wares warily. He moves his glasses onto the tip of his nose to get a better look. Our Lord made to feed 5,000 with a few loaves and a few fishes. You'll have to wait till Thursday for the fish, Father. You'll get the loaves beyond in Centra. The Right Reverend Circumspect S.J. raises a weak, snarly knock down the walls of Jericho's smile. 
Very funny, he said, meaning not very funny. Uh, I'll have a few lamb cutlets, so uh, I should give me three. No problem, Father. Bag in hand, Father circumspect, grey-trousered and black-patent seminary-shoed, out the door, looked both ways and thought briefly of the Philippines before crossing the road. Willie winked at Cortland, and Cortland could not resist a smile. The customers kept coming. Mrs. Hendy of Drum Snee, a pointy-faced, mouse-eyed, spiky little woman with a love of lamb's liver and black pudding and anything with a bit of... How's Abraham's hip, Mrs. Hendy? He has to get the other one done now. Oh, sorry to hear that. Poor Abraham. Poor Abraham indeed. Next in the door, Sergeant Dan Kerrigan, retired, of the Garda Shiokana Traffic Corps. An angular, irascible, brutish character who did not suffer fools gladly, although he was a fool himself. Pound of minced beef there, Cortland, please. Certainly, Sergeant. Once a sergeant. Some mess outside the crossbar this morning, Sergeant. Glasses left everywhere. Here we go. In my day, we had a solution for that, Cortland. Now and I don't have to tell you what that was. In your day, they wouldn't do that, Sergeant. They would not. They would not. They would not. They did. Struggling, battling, nappy-changing, young Nancy Smullen, having given most of her money to her father's legs at the Crossfire Inn, leaves two children outside talking to a three-legged dog, pushes two more in a pram, and carries one snot-smeared, wide-eyed, half-laughing, half-crying cherub of a squish-faced angel in her arms. Pound of sausages, Mr Alexander, please. Bashful, kind Nancy, born in the wrong end of town. Mother, born in the wrong end of town. Father... Born in the wrong end of a different town. How are you today, Nancy? Very good, thank you, Mr Alexander. Good-hearted, optimistic Nancy, smiling as she swims upriver against the tide, against the world, against herself. Now, now, the baba, the baba. Cortland weighs the sausages, lifting Nancy's bag of just-not-enough sausages off the scales at one pound of imperial measurement and adding two, four, six, eight extra sausages. I have a nice little bit of stewing beef if you'd like to try it, Nancy. Nancy reddens. I might try it another day, Mr Alexander. If you like. You can take it now and let me know what you think of it when you come back in. I'd be glad of the opinion. Nancy is confused. She is trying to find the catch, but she can't find the words to ask how much it will all cost. Cortland fills a bag with chunks of stewing beef. He hands it to her. No cost, Nancy. I'd be glad to hear how you get on with it. Nancy is no less confused. Like a sort of a review? Yes, exactly. A review. Nancy, still confused, takes the bags of meat. She smiles, gathers together her children and sissyfusses out the door. (laughs) 
Humming a tune, she walks, pram pushes, and child drags her family uphill to the wrong end of town. Jauntily she goes, towards the too close together, no back garden, cars up on blocks, bin burnt, graffiti walled, fly tip of a county council ignored housing estate she calls home. Like I said, you're getting soft in your old age. Cortland's heart follows Nancy up the road and all the way to her front door. It waits to see her safely in and turning on its heels, returns to the butcher's shop. She's a grand young one. He's getting soft. Mary Dawson, 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 little lamb did I be, a fiddly divey too, wouldn't you? The customers oh, keep coming. She cut her hair, don't Good morning, Mrs. Cole. How's the leg, Pat? You'll never get to it. it. <laughs> <laughs> Do you want me to come home and cook it for you too? Twelve euros and no cents, please, Minnie. Stevedore armed, lycra shirted, milk and protein fed, GAA for his DNA, young Kyo of the crossroads, white toothed and big eared, orders. Two dozen turkey breasts, three dozen chicken breasts, wrapped in bigger chicken breasts, wrapped in tuna, washed down with gallons of creamy milk. Will you beat Kildare on Sunday, Mr. Kyo? Young Kyo flexes a peck, suspiciously. Ah, sure, we'll give it a lash, we'll give it a go. We'll leave nothing on the pitch anyway. Blood, sweat, tears and milk. The lads will give 104% and sure, you know yourself, God willing, and with a bit of luck and a break of a bouncing ball, you never know what might happen. Non-committal, he coochullens out the door. Mrs. Bellingham of the big house. Double-fronted Georgian splendour, replete with climbing ivy and tones of gentry maroon. Two-storey over basement, long gravelled avenue, with lion's heads on pillars in mid-leonine stately roar. Good morning, gentlemen. Good morning, morning, Mrs. Mrs. Bellingham. Do call me Dappy. Good morning, morning, Dappy. Now, what do I need? She casts a careless hand in the direction of the meat counter, throwing airs of pheasant shoots, racing golden retrievers, hip flasks and crackling turf fires. I need a round roast for party of eight. Your finest, Mr Alexander, please. Certainly. And how's Mr Bellingham these days? He's really great. Thanks for asking. She lies. That piece okay for you, madam? That looks fabulous. We're having some friends over, you see. At home, hiding, and not invited to any dinner parties, Mr Bellingham of the big house whimpers. (laughs) Depressed. Crestfallen at the loss of his imaginary controlling interest in the East India Company, He lies in the fetal position, 
in an oak-panelled library made entirely out of unpaid invoices and builders' estimates for gargantuan, never-before-seen roofing expenses. Here, he nightmares on everything must go signs and auctioneers' hammers and the dirty Wellington-booted footmarks of the nosy, stinking, silage-soaked farmers who will stomp across the Persian carpets of that same auction. His long-forgotten ancestors sneer and snoop downwards from dusty antiquarian portraits. They hiss with disapproval at his low, desperate That's wonderful, Cortland. All I need now is find a couple of bottles of a nice Bordeaux somewhere. Stop! I'm sorry. Willie, could you wrap that for Mrs. Bellingham, please? I I, I have to... Certainly, no, no problem at all. Cortland walks out the back of the shop, past the bone saw on the cutting bench. He flicks off his hat and takes off his apron, hangs it up. He walks out into the back alleyway. He takes a few deep breaths, leans with his back to the cold, bare wall at the back of the shop and tries to steady his breathing. His head spins. In front of him, the cold room door is open and a side of beef swings gently on a hook. You'll never guess who's dead. That's the only certainty we have left. Sure, it could always be worse. Oh, you'll never guess who's dead. Sure, you'll never know what might happen. You'll never guess who's dead. 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 Is everything all right, Cortland? I need to breathe, Willie. Can't you see? I need to breathe. Grand job, so. He walks down the narrow alley at the back of the shop. A pen of fat lambs watching him from the back of the abattoir, bleating softly. Cortland leans his hands on the bars of the pen and the sheep, unperturbed, look up at him. Glassy-eyed, he feels a deep weight on his heart. So much so that he reaches the heel of his hand to his sternum and presses it there. Surely not, he thinks. Surely not. The weight lifts. He catches his breath. And standing there, looking into the pen of lambs, the thought briefly expressed trains through his mind to let them out. Cortland checks himself. And then he does. Let them out. Go on! Hoosh! Out you get! Here! Hoosh! The sheep come out of the pen in jumps and spurts. Confused, excited, they turn down the alleyway towards the bottom of the street. Go on! Get on! As luck would have it, the gate onto the street is open and away they go. Ah, oh, where are you going? The sisters McGinnity, returning from their first lap of the Milky Way, step out into the street and attempt to stop the lambs. Arms outstretched like young, excited goalkeepers, they whoosh and holler. Let them through! Go on, yep, yep! The three-legged dog, 
sensing a paying job, hops, bounces and limps into action. Where are you going with that? Where are you going? This way! Cortland shouts, choosing the same direction as the three-legged dog. The lambs, Cortland and the three-legged dog, trot down the town and out the road past the school playground, where it appears the teachers are trying to regain control after break time. A wide-eyed, ginger-haired girl presses her face against the chain-link fence, ignoring the bell. She reaches her small, pale hand through one square of the fence and turns it slowly to reveal a thumbs-up sign. Cortland returns a thumbs-up. The three-legged dog barks. <coughs> Cortland walks the sheep out the road and he finds the biggest, greenest, just-right field he can find. He runs ahead of the lambs. The three-legged dog holds up the rear. He opens the gate and the lambs run in. Yes, 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 says the three-legged dog. Willie looks at the door, half expects, half hopes. Half dream wishes it to be Cortland, returned, ready to bring everything back to the way it was. It is not Cortland. It is Maggie, one of two competing town gossips. Mm. She being the more enthusiastic of the two, mm. and often using the technique of repeating your own words back to you mm. in the hope that you may clarify those words mm. and in doing so reveal more juicy, succulent, medium rare information. Mm. She hound dogs in the door. Good afternoon, Mrs. Good afternoon, Willie. Is Mr. Alexander around? Mm. He's not there uh, just at the minute, uh, Mrs. He just went out there earlier for a bit of personal business. He went out for a bit of personal business? Hmm. By way of... I mean, he's just gone on an errand, I think. An errand? Is there anything I can help you with myself, maybe? It's just that I saw him down the town at the Holy Well with that mangy dog. And with him being a Protestant. I mean, not that a Protestant couldn't go to a Holy Well, but it was that him and the dog were drinking water out of Mr Alexander's hands. I think it's hard for the dog to do that on his own, him having only the three legs. Willie smirked. Mrs peeled a thin serial killer's smile. Mm. He had a wild look in his eyes, Mr Alexander had. Mm. And I thought he looked a bit peaky myself and he wouldn't be what you might call a peaky man. Mm. I shouted hello across the street and he didn't reply, didn't even salute me. Mm. I thought that was mm -hmm, a bit unusual and with him looking peaky, I thought I'd better ask... Not that it's anybody's business. I just thought I should ask if he'd, um, got a shock or something. Willie poker eyes Mrs. across the counter. Slowly, reluctantly, she folds. Can I get you something? 
I'll have a small bit of round steak mince. A pound? Less. There's only the two of us now, and Frank's appetite wouldn't be great. Diverticulitis, you know. Willie screwed up his face in the appropriate response and filled half a bag of round steak mince. When the Gestapo leaves, he tries Cortland's mobile. It rings beside the cash register. Willie, let down the shutter. Mr Alexander. Let down the shutter and come out here. Willie does as he is told. Cortland is standing to attention. Take off your cap, Willie, quick. Is everything okay? We need to make some changes. Changes? Not now, Willie. Stand to attention. Rounding the bottom of the town and coming up the street slowly, solemnly, a hearse. Toss Maguire, tyre repairman, fireman, singer, undertaker, effects a serious, weightful tone behind the steering wheel. His hands are white-knuckled in the ten-to-two position. He stares straight ahead, stiff-collared, in black suit, white shirt and black velvet tie. In the passenger seat, his sister, Tess Maguire, in black trouser suit and black pallbearer's beret. In the back, the reclining mortal remains of Johnny Slipper Kenny. Imperceptible to those on the street is the slight movement of lips between driver and assistant. A low-grade, simmering, sibling row which has been going on since they left the hospital mortuary. Mammy always said I had a lovely tenor voice, like a young Caruso, she said. Only, if anything, better looking. What a load of shit. She said that if she had the money, she would have sent me to that... Juilliard School in New York. She told me you sang like a bull ball in the Haggate. Oh, Mammy would never have said that. Sorry, a castrated bull ball in the Haggate. I'm just telling you what she said. That's very unfair. <laughs> Willie blesses himself as the hearse passes and then clasps his hands in front of him like a scolded schoolboy. He speaks to Cortland in a low voice, as befits the solemnity of the occasion. You know, he trained as a jockey for years. Really? Following the hearse in a red Volkswagen Golf with faded L-plates, the widow Kenny, head bent in grief, lifts a hand without looking to acknowledge the respect of the little town. In the back of the car, the dearly departed's daughters comfort each other. That's where he got the nickname. Slipper. What? From Slipper. Slippery arse. Apparently you couldn't tie him to a horse. Didn't matter if he was last or twenty lengths clear of the field. If there was a way of falling off, Kenny would find it. I didn't know that. I thought it was slipper, like what you might wear on your feet. Then he got a job with the ESB. I didn't know anything about it. Worked away on that for a few years and then he fell off a pylon. Got a big claim, never worked again. Is that right? Anyways, I suppose he'll fall no farther now. Cortland watches the hearse move away up the town and daydreams, day visions, day nightmares. In a flash, 
the boot lift and the coffin slide out onto the road, sliding back down the town as the lid slowly opens and the corpse inside sits bolt upright, sliding, careering back down the street, the corpse waving as it steers an imaginary steering wheel. But it is not Slipper Kenny inside. It is himself that Cortland sees. Cortland? Cortland? When his corpse self grows level with the shop, its head turns to stare into Cortland's eyes. Smiling, Cortland, it brings can, can up its me, arm in a stiff military salute. Mr. Alexander, Cortland. Uh, what? Well, I pull up the shutters again. It's all a comedy, isn't it? The whole bloody thing. It's a comedy. A tragic comedy. A farce. That's what it is. A farce. Except you don't know it. That's the sad part. That's the real tragedy, Willie. You don't know until it's too late. Willie looks confused. The shutters, Mr. Alexander? No, Willie. Not the shutters. Everything. We have decisions to make, Willie. Well, I open the shutters then. Do you like the shutters, Willie? The shutters, Mr. Alexander? Yes, the shutters. Are they to your satisfaction? Willie looks at the shutters and then at his shoes. To be perfectly honest, Mr. Alexander, I'm not entirely sure what we're talking about. And if you could maybe simplify things, I'd be very grateful. Okay, Willie. I'll simplify things for you. If you don't like the shutters and you want different shutters, then get them. Or if you want French windows or plantation shutters from from China that are orange with yellow spots, get them. Okay, Mr. Alexander. Cortland reaches into his pocket and hands Willie the big bunch of keys. There's an inspection coming up next spring from the Department of Agriculture. You might want to do some preparation for that, but that's completely up to you. Okay, Willie says blankly. He walks back into the shop. Come on, dog boy! Isn't that a silly thing to do? Matthew's doors and Goldie's doors And lambs get jivey when they eat ivy I could get jivey too Shoot the jivey ivy that's when I was brought into it. The whole carry-on. Doctor's surgery. Good evening. Phyllis Alexander here. I wonder, is the doctor still in? She is. I'll see if I can get her. Hi, Phyllis. Everything all right? It's himself. He's having one of his turns. I'd make an appointment, but we both know he wouldn't go. Hmm. Out of ten, Phyllis, what is he? A seven? I'd say he's an eight. He could be heading for a nine. I'll come up. I packed my bag and all schooled it up to him. Thanks. He's in the usual spot with his new dog. I went through the house and out to the back shed. Did she call you? No. Liar. What the hell is up with your eyebrows? You could sweep a chimney with them. Back off, I'm not in the mood. New dog too, I see. Yes, his name is... You know, I don't rightly know what his name is. Anyway, what does it matter? 
Might matter to him. I'll give him a name when I'm ready. When I uh, work everything out. I went to see Daddy this morning. He was eating sloppy porridge and talking nonsense to that Brazilian nurse. Don't try and guilt trip me. I'm not. I'm not. He's good. He's happy. He wanted to know how you were getting on. He wanted to know how sales were. Not today, please. Here. I brought medicine. For both of us. Better be Blackbush. Only the best for our Cortland. You know, even my name is stupid. It is, isn't it? Of course. That's what it is, being born here. I wouldn't go that far. You got away. You bloody escaped and you came back. I like it here. Nothing ever happens around here. That's the bit I like. Nothing I do makes any difference. I've wasted my life. You just have to sell them meat. I have to deal with their bunions and their ingrown toenails and their varicose veins and their diverticulosis. I'm going to change. I'm going to make some big life decisions. Good man. Cheers to that. Come in. Willie called to the door. I asked him in, but he wouldn't come in. He pushed these through the letterbox. He said to tell you... Now let me get this right. Tell him thanks and everything. But the answer is no. I don't want it. But everything is grand except the till. I closed the shop, but I didn't do the till because I don't know how. And he was very clear about this bit. He doesn't want to know how either. I'll sell it. That's what I'll do. I'll sell the whole bloody thing. Here, come on. Drink up. We'll walk down. I'll do the till with you and we can talk about it then. Yes, go. The walk will do you good. Come on. Off we went, with the three-legged dog following us and Phyllis shouting after us. Pilot, roll! He told me about his day and I listened to him. Then I went to Centra and got the toilet roll. The medium type. Not too thick and not too thin. Cortland went over to the shop to balance the till. When I got back to him, he still hadn't done it. He was leaning against the counter reading a little handwritten note he'd found in the letterbox. The stewing beef was not too fat and, and not, not too, too lean. It was cut into good big chunks. I browned it in the bottom of a casserole dish with a dash of oil. I then added some chopped onions, carrots and potatoes. I then mixed a stock cube in some water and added that to the casserole dish. I put it in the oven on a low heat for a couple of hours. Just to say, Mr Alexander, that the stew was very nice indeed. The beef was tender and enjoyed by everyone in the family from the smallest to the biggest. I would recommend that it is very good beef. Yours sincerely, Nancy Smullen. Like the little kiddly, the I, me, 
Fairly dogs and dogs and dogs and little lambs did I be, a kiddly divey too, wouldn't you? It's such a silly thing, but it's really fun to think. Oh, merdy dog dog. And that was Nothing Ever Happens Around Here, written by Robert Barrett. The play took first place in the P.G. O'Connor Radio Drama Awards 2020. Pauline McGlynn played the narrator. Frankie McCafferty played the part of Cortland Alexander. John D. Ruddy was Willie. Phyllis was played by Joan Sheehy. Joe Taylor was Father Circumspect. Noni Stapleton was Nancy Smullen. Other voices were played by members of the company. Sound design and sound supervision was by Gar Duffy, with thanks to Pather Kearney. Nothing Ever Happens Around Here by Robert Barrett was directed by Goretti Slaven. You can listen back to this and other dramas at rte.ie forward slash drama on one. Drama on one. Sundays at 8pm. rte.ie forward slash drama on one. Drama on one.